Letter to Raleigh and commendatory poems, etc., prefixed to the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Letter of the authors expounding his whole intention in the course of this work, which, for that it giveth great light to the reader, for the better understanding is hereunto annexed. To the right noble and valorous Sir Walter Raleigh, Knight, Lord Warden of the Stannerice, and Her Majesty's Lieutenant of the County of Cornwall. Sir, knowing how doubtfully all allegories may be construed, and this book of mine, which I have entitled The Fairy Queen, being a continued allegory or dark conceit, I have thought good as well for avoiding of jealous opinions and misconstructions as also for your better light in reading thereof, being so by you commanded, to discover unto you the general intention and meaning which in the whole course thereof I have fashioned, without expressing of any particular purposes or by accidents therein occasioned. The general end, therefore, of all the book is to fashion a gentleman or noble person in virtuous and gentle discipline, which, for that I conceived should be most plausible and pleasing, being coloured with an historical fiction, the which the most part of men delight to read, rather for variety of matter than for profit of the ensample, I chose the history of King Arthur as most fit for the excellency of his person, being made famous by many men's former works, and also furthest from the danger of envy and suspicion of present time, in which I have followed all the antique poets historical, first Homer, who in the persons of Agamemnon and Ulysses hath ensampled a good governor and a virtuous man, the one in his Ilias, the other in his Odysseus. Then Virgil, whose like intention was to do in the person of Aeneas. After him Ariosto comprised them both in his Orlando, and lately Tasso dissevered them again, and formed both parts in two persons, namely that part which they in philosophy called Ethike, or virtues of a private man, coloured in his Rinaldo, the other named Politike in his Godfredo. By example of which excellent poets, I labour to portray in Arthur, before he was king, the image of a brave knight, perfected in the twelve moral virtues, as Aristotle hath devised, the which is the purpose of these first twelve books, which if I find to be well accepted, I may be perhaps encouraged to frame the other part of politic virtues in his person, after that he came to be king. To some I know this method will seem displeasant, which had rather have good discipline delivered plainly in way of precepts, or sermoned at large, as they use, than thus cloudily enwrapped in allegorical devices. But such, meseems, should be satisfied with the use of these days, seeing all things accounted by their shows, and nothing esteemed of that is not delightful and pleasing to common sense. For this cause, Xenophon preferred before Plato, for that the one in the exquisite depth of his judgment formed a commonwealth such as it should be, but the other in the person of Cyrus and the Persians fashioned a government such as it might best be. So much more profitable and gracious is doctrine by example than by rule. So have I laboured to do in the person of Arthur, whom I conceive, after his long education by Timon, to whom he was by Merlin delivered to be brought up, so soon as he was born of the Lady Igraine, 
to have seen in a dream or vision the fairy queen, with whose excellent beauty ravished, he awaking, resolved to seek her out. And so, being by Merlin armed and by Timon throughly instructed, he went to seek her forth in fairyland. In that fairy queen, I mean glory in my general intention, but in my particular I conceive the most excellent and glorious person of our sovereign, the queen, and her kingdom in fairyland. And yet in some places else I do otherwise shadow her. For considering she beareth two persons, the one of a most royal queen or empress, the other of a most virtuous and beautiful lady, this latter part in some places I do express in Belphoebe, fashioning her name according to your own excellent conceit of Cynthia, Phoebe and Cynthia being both names of Diana. So in the person of Prince Arthur I set forth magnificence in particular, which virtue, for that, according to Aristotle and the rest, it is the perfection of all the rest, and containeth in it them all. Therefore, in the whole course I mention the deeds of Arthur, appliable to that virtue which I write of in that book. But of the twelve other virtues, I make twelve other knights the patrons, for the more variety of the history, of which these three books contain three. The first of the Knight of the Red Cross, in whom I express holiness, the second of Sir Guyon, in whom I set forth temperance, the third of Britomartis, a lady knight, in whom I picture chastity. But because the beginning of the whole work seemeth abrupt and as depending upon other antecedents, it needs that ye know the occasion of these three knights' several adventures. For the method of a poet historical is not such as of an historiographer. For an historiographer discourseth of affairs orderly, as they were done, accounting as well the times as the actions. But a poet thrusteth into the middest, even where it most concerneth him, and there, recoursing to the things forepast, and divining of things to come, maketh a pleasing analysis of all. The beginning, therefore, of my history, if it were to be told by an historiographer, should be the twelfth book, which is the last, where I devise that the fairy queen kept her annual feast twelve days upon which twelve several days the occasions of the twelve several adventures happened, which being undertaken by twelve several knights, are in these twelve books severally handled and discoursed. The first was this. In the beginning of the feast there presented himself a tall, clownish young man, who, falling before the queen of fairies, desired a boon, as the manner then was, which during that feast she might not refuse which was that he might have the achievement of any adventure which during that feast should happen. That being granted, he rested him on the floor, unfit through his rusticity for a better place. Soon after entered a fair lady in mourning weeds, riding on a white ass, with a dwarf behind her, leading a warlike steed that bore the arms of a knight, and his spear in the dwarf's hand. She, falling before the queen of fairies, complained that her father and mother, an ancient king and queen, had been by an huge dragon many years shut up in a brazen castle, who thence suffered them not to issue, and therefore besought the fairy queen to assign her some one of her knights to take on him that exploit. 
Presently that clownish person upstarting desired that adventure. Whereat the queen much wondering, and the lady much gainsaying, yet he earnestly importuned his desire. In the end the lady told him that unless that armour which he brought would serve him, that is, the armour of a Christian man, specified by St. Paul, five Ephesians, that he should not succeed in that enterprise, which being forthwith put upon him with due furnitures thereunto, he seemed the goodliest man in all that company, and was well liked of the lady. And eftsoons, taking on him knighthood, and mounting on that strange courser, he went forth with her on that adventure, where beginneth the first book, viz., a gentle knight was pricking on the plain, etc. The second day there came in a palmer bearing an infant with bloody hands, whose parents he complained to have been slain by an enchantress called Acrasia, and therefore craved of the fair queen to appoint him some knight to perform that adventure, which being assigned to Sir Guyon, he presently went forth with that same palmer, which is the beginning of the second book, and the whole subject thereof. The third day there came in a groom, who complained before the fairy queen that a vile enchanter called Busy Rain had in hand a most fair lady called Amoretta, whom he kept in most grievous torment, because she would not yield him the pleasure of her body. Whereupon Sir Scudamore, the lover of that lady, presently took on him that adventure. But being unable to perform it, by reason of the hard enchantments, after long sorrow, in the end, he met with Britomartis, who succoured him and rescued his love. But by occasion hereof, many other adventures are intermeddled, but rather as accidents than intentments, as the love of Britomart, the overthrow of Marinel, the misery of Florimel, the virtuousness of Belphoebe, the lasciviousness of Helenora, and many the like. Thus much, sir, have I briefly overrun to direct your understanding to the wellhead of the history, that from thence, gathering the whole intention of the conceit, ye may, as in a handful, gripe all the discourse, which otherwise may happily seem tedious and confused. So, humbly craving the continuance of your honourable favour towards me, and the eternal establishment of your happiness, I humbly take leave. 23 January, 1589 Yours, most humbly affectionate, Ed Spencer. Commendatory Poems and Sonnets to Persons of Rank A Vision Upon This Conceit of the Fairy Queen Methought I saw the grave where Laura lay, Within that temple, where the vestal flame was wont to burn, And passing by that way to see that buried dust of living fame, Whose tomb fair love and fairer virtue kept, all suddenly I saw the fairy queen, at whose approach the soul of Petrarch wept, and from thenceforth those graces were not seen. For they this queen attended, in whose steed oblivion laid him down on Laura's hearse. Hereat the hardest stones were seen to bleed, and groans of buried ghosts the heavens did purse where Homer's sprite did tremble all for grief, and cursed excess of that celestial thief. Another of the same. The praise of meaner wits this work like profit brings, as doth the cuckoo's song delight 
when Philomena sings. If thou hast formed right, true virtues face herein, virtue herself can best discern to whom they written been. If thou hast beauty praised, let her sole looks divine judge if aught therein be amiss, and mend it by her mean. If chastity want aught, or temperance her due, behold her princely mind aright, and write thy queen anew. Meanwhile, she shall perceive how far her virtues soar above the reach of all that live, or such as wrote of yore, and thereby will excuse and favour thy good will, whose virtue cannot be expressed but by an angel's quill. Of me no lines are loved, nor letters are a price, of all which speak our English tongue, but those of thy device. W.R. To the learned shepherd. Colin, I see by thy new-taken task some sacred fury hath enriched thy brains that leads thy muse in haughty verse to mask and loathe the lays that longs to lowly swains that lifts thy notes from shepherds unto kings so like the lively lark that mounting sings thy lovely rosalind seems now forlorn and all thy gentle flocks forgotten quite thy changed heart now holds thy pipes in scorn those pretty pipes that did thy mates delight those trusty mates that loved thee so well whom thou gavest mirth as they gave thee the bell yet as thou erst with thy sweet roundelays didst stir to glee our lads in homely bowers so mought'st thou now in these refined lays delight the dainty ears of higher powers and so mote they in their deep scanning skill allow and grace our colin's flowing quill and fair befall that fairy queen of thine in whose fair eyes love linked with virtue sights infusing by those beauties fires divine such high conceits into thy humble wits as raised hath poor pastors oaten reed from rustic tunes to chant heroic deeds so mought thy red cross knight with happy hand victorious be in that fair island's right which thou dost veil in type of fairyland eliza's blessed field that albion height that shields her friends and wars her mighty foes yet still with people peace and plenty flows but jolly shepherd though with pleasing style thou feast the humour of the courtly train let not conceit thy settled sense beguile ne daunted be through envy or disdain subject thy dome to her empiring sprite from whence thy muse and all the world takes light hobbinal fair tamous stream that from Lud's stately town runs paying tribute to the ocean seas let all thy nymphs and sirens of renown be silent while this britain orpheus plays near thy sweet banks there lives that sacred crown whose hand strows palm and never-dying bays let all at once with thy soft murmuring sound present her with this worthy poet's praise for he hath taught high drifts in shepherd's weeds 
and deep conceits now sings in fairies' deeds. R.S. Grave muses march in triumph and with praises. Our goddess here hath given you leave to land, and bids this rare dispenser of your graces bow down his brow unto her sacred hand. Deserts finds due in that most princely doom, in whose sweet breast are all the muses bred. So did that great Augustus erst in Rome, with leaves of fame adorn his poet's head. Fair be the guerdon of your fairy queen, even of the fairest that the world hath seen. H. B. When stout Achilles heard of Helen's rape, and what revenge the states of Greece devised, thinking by slight the fatal walls to scape, in women's weeds himself he then disguised. But this device Ulysses soon did spy, and brought him forth the chance of war to try. When Spencer saw the fame was spread so large through fairyland of their renowned queen, loath that his muse should take so great a charge as in such haughty matter to be seen, to seem a shepherd then he made his choice, but Sidney heard him sing, and knew his voice. And as Ulysses brought fair Thetis' son from his retired life to manage arms, so Spencer was by Sidney's speeches won, to blaze her fame, not fearing future harms. For well he knew his muse would soon be tired in her high praise, that all the world admired. Yet, as Achilles in those warlike phrase did win the palm from all the Grecian peers, so Spencer now to his immortal praise hath won the laurel quite from all his fears. What though his task exceed a human wit, he is excused, saith Sidney thought it fit. W. L. To look upon a work of rare device, the which a workman setteth out to view, and not to yield it the deserved prize that under such a workmanship is due, doth either prove the judgment to be naught, or else doth show a mind with envy fraught. To labour to commend a piece of work which no man goes about to discommend would raise a jealous doubt that there did lurk some secret doubt whereto the praise did tend. For when men know the goodness of the wine, tis needless for the host to have a sign. Thus, then, to show my judgment to be such as can discern of colours black and white, as all's to free my mind from envy's touch, that never gives to any man his right, I here pronounce this workmanship is such as that no pen can set it forth too much. And thus I hang a garland at the door, not for to show the goodness of the ware, but such hath been the custom heretofore, and customs very hardly broken are. And when your taste shall tell you this is true, then look you give your host his utmost due. Ignoto. To the Right Honourable Sir Christopher Hatton, Lord High Chancellor of England, etc. Those prudent heads, that with their counsels wise, while on the pillars of earth did sustain, and taught ambitious Rome to tyrannize, 
and in the neck of all the world to reign, oft from those grave affairs were one abstained with the sweet lady muses for to play. So Aeneas the elder Africane, so Marrow oft did Caesar's cares allay. So you, great lord, that with your counsel sway the burden of this kingdom mightily, with like delights sometimes may eke delay the rugged brow of careful policy, and to these idle rhymes lend little space, which for their title's sake may find more grace. Through the most honourable and excellent lord, the Earl of Essex, great maester of the horse to her highness, and knight of the noble order of the garter, etc. Magnific lord, whose virtues excellent do merit a most famous poet's wit, to be thy living praises instrument, yet do not stain to let thy name be writ in this base poem, for thee far unfit, not is thy worth disparaged thereby, but when my muse, whose feathers nothing flit, do yet but flag, and lowly learn to fly, with bolder wing shall dare aloft to sty to the last praises of this fairy queen, then shall it make more famous memory of thine heroic parts such as they be. Till then, vouchsafe thy noble countenance to these first labours needed furtherance. To the Right Honourable the Earl of Oxenford, Lord High Chamberlain of England, etc. Receive, most noble lord, in gentle gree, the unripe fruit of an unready wit, which by thy countenance doth crave to be defended from foul envy's poisonous bit, which so to do may thee right well befit, sith antique glory of thine ancestry under a shady veil is therein writ, and eke thine own long-living memory succeeding them in true nobility, and also for the love which thou dost bear to the Laconian imps, and they to thee, they unto thee, and thou to them most dear, dear as thou art unto thyself, so love that loves and honours thee, as doth behoove. To the Right Honourable the Earl of Northumberland The sacred muses have made always claim to be the nurses of nobility, and registers of everlasting fame, to all that arms profess and chivalry. Then by like right the noble progeny, which them succeed in fame and worth, are tied to embrace the service of sweet poetry, by whose endeavours they are glorified, and eke from all of whom it is invited to patronise the author of their praise, which gives them life that else would soon have died, and crowns their ashes with immortal bays, to thee, therefore, right noble lord, I send this present of my pains, it to defend. To the right honourable the Earl of Ormond and Ossery. Receive, most noble lord, a simple taste of the wild fruit which savage soil hath bred, which being through long wars left almost waste, with brutish barbarism is overspread, and in so fair a land as may be read, not one Parnassus, nor one Helicon, left for sweet muses to be harboured, but where thyself hast thy brave mansion. 
there indeed dwell fair graces many own and gentle nymphs delights of learned wits and in thy person without paragon all goodly bounty and true honour sits such therefore as that wasted soil doth yield receive dear lord in worth the fruit of barren field to the right honourable the lord charles howard lord high admiral of england knight of the noble order of the garter and one of her majesty's privy council etc and ye brave lord whose goodly personage and noble deeds each other garnishing make you an example to the present age of the old heroes whose famous offspring the antique poets want so much to sing in this same pageant have a worthy place set those huge castles of castilian king that vainly threatened kingdoms to displace like flying doves ye did before you chase and that proud people waxen insolent through many victories didst first deface thy praises everlasting monument is in this verse engraven semblably that it may live to all posterity to the most renowned and valiant lord the lord grey of wilton knight of the noble order of the garter etc most noble lord the pillar of my life and patron of my muses pupilage through whose large bounty poured on me rife in the first season of my feeble age i now do live bound yours by vassalage sith nothing ever may redeem nor reeve out of your endless debt so sure a gauge vouchsafe in worth this small gift to receive which in your noble hands for pledge i leave of all the rest that i am tied to count rude rhymes the which a rustic muse did wean in savage soil far from parnasso mount and roughly wrought in an unlearned loom the which vouchsafe dear lord your favourable doom to the right noble and valorous knight sir walter raleigh lord warden of the stanneries and lieutenant of cornwall to thee that art the summer's nightingale thy sovereign goddess's most dear delight why do i send this rustic madrigal that may thy tuneful ear unseason quite thou only fit this argument to write in whose high thoughts pleasure hath built her bower and dainty love learned sweetly to indite my rhymes i know unsavoury and sour to taste the streams that like a golden shower flow from thy fruitful head of thy love's praise fitter perhaps to thunder martial stour when so thee list thy lofty muse to raise yet till that thou thy poem wilt make known let thy fair cynthia's praises be thus rudely shown e s to the most virtuous and beautiful lady the lady carry ne may i without blot of endless blame thou fairest lady leave out of this place but with remembrance of your gracious name wherewith that courtly garland most ye grace and deck the world adorn these verses base not that these few lines can in them comprise those glorious ornaments of heavenly grace wherewith ye triumph over feeble eyes and in subdued hearts to tyrannize for thereunto 
doth need a golden quill and silver leaves them rightly to devise but to make humble present of good will which when as timely means it purchase may in ampler wise itself will forth display e s to all the gracious and beautiful ladies in the court the Cayan painter when he was required to portrait venus in her perfect hue to make his work more absolute desired of all the fairest maids to have the view much more me needs to draw the semblant true of beauty's queen the world's sole wonderment to sharp my sense with sundry beauty's view and steal from each some part of ornament if all the world to seek i overwent a fairer crew yet nowhere could i see than that brave court doth to mine eye present that the world's pride seems gathered there to be of each part i stole by cunning theft forgive me fairest dames sith less ye have not left e s to the right honourable the lord burley lord high treasurer of england to you right noble lord whose careful breast to manage of most grave affairs is bent and on whose mighty shoulders most doth rest the burden of this kingdom's government as the wide compass of the firmament on atlas mighty shoulders is upstayed unfitly i these idle rhymes present the labour of lost time and wit unstayed yet if their deeper sense be inly weighed and the dim veil with which from common view their fairer parts are hid aside be laid perhaps not vain they might appear to you such as they be vouchsafe them to receive and wipe their faults out of your censure grave e s to the right honourable the lord of hunsdon high chamberlain to her majesty renowned lord that for your worthiness and noble deeds have your deserved place high in the favour of that empress the world's sole glory and her sex's grace here eke of right have you a worthy place both for your nearness to that fairy queen and for your own high merit in like case of which apparent proof was to be seen when that tumultuous rage and fearful dean of northern rebels ye did pacify and their disloyal power defaced clean the record of enduring memory live lord for ever in this lasting verse that all posterity thy honour may rehearse e s to the right honourable the lord of buckhurst one of her majesty's privy council in vain i think right honourable lord by this rude rhyme to memorize thy name whose learned muse hath writ her own record in golden verse worthy immortal fame thou much more fit were leisure to the same thy gracious sovereign praises to compile and her imperial majesty to frame in lofty numbers and heroic style but sith thou mayst not so give leave a while to baser wit his power therein to spend whose gross defaults thy dainty pen may file and unadvised oversights amend but evermore vouchsafe it to maintain against vile zoilus backbitings vain 
to the right honourable Sir Francis Walsingham, Knight, Principal Secretary to Her Majesty, and of Her Honourable Privy Council. That Mantuan poet's incomparid spirit, whose girland now is set in highest place, had not Messinus, for his worthy merit, it first advanced to great Augustus' grace, might long perhaps have lain in silence base, ne been so much admired of later age. This lowly muse that learns like steps to trace flies for like aid unto your patronage, that, as the great Messinus of this age, as well to all that civil arts profess as those that are inspired with martial rage, and craves protection of her feebleness, which, if ye yield, perhaps ye may her raise in bigger times to sound your living praise. To the right noble lord and most valiant captain, Sir John Norris, knight, lord president of Mountster, who ever gave more honourable prize to the sweet muse than did the martial crew that their brave deeds she might immortalize in her shrill trump, and sound their praises due. Who then ought more to favor her than you, most noble lord, the honor of this age, and precedent of all that arms ensue? Whose warlike prowess and manly courage, tempered with reason and advisement sage, hath filled sad Belgia with victorious spoil, in France and Ireland left a famous gage, and lately shaked the Lusitanian soil. Sith then, each where thou hast dispread thy fame, love him that hath eternized your name. E. S. To the right honourable and most virtuous lady, the Countess of Pembroke. Remembrance of that most heroic spirit, the heaven's pride, the glory of our days, which now triumpheth through immortal merit of his brave virtues crowned with lasting bays, of heavenly bliss and everlasting praises, who first my muse did lift out of the floor to sing his sweet delights in lowly lays, bids me, most noble lady, to adore his goodly image, living evermore, in the divine resemblance of your face, which with your virtues ye embellish more, and native beauty decked with heavenly grace. For his, and for your own especial sake, vouchsafe from him this token in good worth to take. E.S. To the Right Honourable the Earl of Cumberland. Redoubted Lord, in whose courageous mind the flower of chivalry now blossoming fair doth promise fruit, worthy the noble kind, which of their praises have left you the heir. To you this humble present I prepare for love of virtue and of martial praise, to which, though nobly ye inclined are, as goodly well ye showed in late essays, yet brave example of long-passed days in which true honour ye may fashion see, to like desire of honour may ye raise, and fill your mind with magnanimity. Receive it, Lord, therefore, as it was meant." for honour of your name and high descent. E.S. End of letter to Raleigh and commendatory poems. Recording by Thomas Copeland.